Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 46. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went. We're going to thank our patrons, do card of the week, seven-win run breakdown, our main topic is a sunset show for Flames of Zalta, and then we're going to review a few more preview cards um, and talk about the new mechanic that they released today, Corrupted. So first off, how was your draft week, Cats? Uh, it was good. It was fine. I played a little bit and uh, streamed a few of those games, and, and that was nice. And I lost a, a bunch of games when the end of the month started coming and and a lot of a lot at the end of every month people start trying very hard to get into the top 100 or the top 20 and uh, the, the competition feels like it gets tougher to me so i i felt the pressure and was was losing a lot of games and then i climbed my way back up very dramatic but uh there weren't any major shifts in variance you know i didn't go on a crazy losing streak or a crazy winning streak i just played draft and did pretty well so no complaints. I think I ended up. Uh, I think I'm in the top ten still. The last time I checked, so that's that's pretty good. And and I, I got there by not trying as hard as I as, as I did last time, <laughs> where, I was, where I was like, oh no, I've lost. I better play until I drop dead from exhaustion. That didn't work <laughs> out that well, but this time uh, it didn't stress me out. And it went fine. So that's probably the strategy I'll use going forward: is to not stress out about it at all. How does how was your draft week? That's good. My draft week, uh, as far as drafting went, was pretty non-existent, but yeah. sort of in the same vein you were talking about. I've been talking about my um, league run for a few weeks now, and I decided that to keep playing league despite losing two games in a row, which I thought was pretty big of me. And <laughs> Very generous. <laughs> I kind of thought I need to learn to like not really care about it because the results of it are near meaningless and getting like a loss or two shouldn't be as upsetting to me as it is. And, you know, like league and draft are sort of like the highest stake eternal I play sort of where, you know, I'm actually putting, you know, gems or gold into it. And so it feels more important because of that. But it's still not worth getting upset about, nor is it worth, I think, giving up. And so I was kind of just working this week on <laughs> on perseverance and like and continuing to play, not like, oh, I'm tilted in playing, but like really trying to get a place where even if like what I thought was a really great league deck got a loss or two here and it feels like it's not doing as well as it should to just be like, that's all right. And then, you know, keep on playing. And I've actually been doing that and accrued a few more losses, but have actually been enjoying myself more while playing League. Mm. And I kind of like my deck, so I might as well keep playing it, even if it's not necessarily reaching my expectations, which were probably too high in the first place. It, it strikes me that the way that we're both talking about this does make it sound like a job or a prison sentence more than a game. <laughs> like, how can what we have to we have to do it? And how can we do this without getting frustrated or angry? <laughs> and I, I don't I don't know. I think 
I th- yeah, I think the most important thing is to find what's genuinely uh, fun or interesting about it rather than just find a way for it to not completely suck. Because that's that's sometimes how it feels. It's like, oh, how can this not be terrible? But it's entirely optional to, to sign into Eternal and play it. You know, for me personally, like I'm very much about just like trying to do things out of my comfort zone to you know, build character or whatever, or just like Mm -hmm. personally challenge myself and persevere through things. That's actually kind of what changed my opinion about continuing to play League, is I realized that, I mean, because like just Eternal in general, I enjoy playing card games. I have fun while doing it. And so I felt like League was putting itself in front of me as like a thing that made me want to like give up. And that's not a thing I like to do. And I realized I just I enjoy playing card games and it's still a card game. And so it was like a mental block that was getting in my way. And so just like looking at it differently and realizing if I change my mindset, I can do this and have fun. And I don't know, just like I keep using the word persevere through it, but like persevere through the upsetting parts and then just get back to the parts of it that I like even though I'm doing the same thing that before was frustrating to me. Now on to announcements, which is where we plug our Patreon. Um, Actually, we do have two announcements this week. Uh, First off, uh, Jed the Homrid is bringing back our Discord tournament. So we're doing another, this time, a Peasant Cube draft. You can find out the details for that on the Discord in the tournament discussion channel. And so we're going to draft Jedi's Peasant Cube on Eternal Warcry, and then you'll submit the decks to us, and then we're going to do a round-robin tournament um, this in February this month, this month when you hear this. So that's our first announcement. Our second announcement is that we have hit our $50 patron goal. So I'd like to thank Abednego, who joined the Patreon this week, as well as Madness, who upped their pledge to help us get over our goal. So... Uh, we haven't set a date yet, but we are going to do a live show. But for those of you who don't know, and I don't know how you do, because I do mention it every week, uh, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, and it's a way for listeners to give back to the show, to support the show, help us keep producing content and keep doing this week after week. And we do have uh, another stretch goal now that we hit our first one, which is a coaching session with hats. Uh, which will raffle off to a lucky patron when we get to $75 a month. But for as little as a dollar, you get access to our show notes, recording bloopers, and boy, do I feel like there's going to be a lot for this episode. Um, And then you get your name read. So thanks again to our new patron, Abednego, and our veteran patrons, Clinical Cynic, Meagles, Madness, Big Salty, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman II, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistow. Thanks again. So let's move on to Card of the Week. So, uh, ha, seems like you've gotten tired of talking about Flames of Zalta cards. I, that's the exactly accurate, <laughs> that's an accurate <laughs> observation on your part, Patrick. <laughs> well, I decided to choose one of, uh, one of the spoiled cards, one of the recently spoiled cards for the new set, set 8, as my card of the week this time, because I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, that card is Sorcerer's Wand. Uh, Sorcerer's Wand is an uncommon. It costs 5 Time Justice Primal. It's a 3-faction card. 
It's a relic, and it says once per turn you can pay two to stun an enemy unit, draw a card, or give each of your units plus one plus one this turn. Um, there's been a few cards spoiled, and this one stood out to me because it's uh, it's a true build around uncommon in a, in in a way. I think it's a powerful card that you would play anytime you can in a three faction deck, but also it strongly encourages you to play a slow controlly deck um, because otherwise it's an expensive relic that will take a while to give you value um, and it requires a commitment to those three factions and kind of pretty strongly suggests that there will be um, well I don't know how I, it, it might suggest that there's going to be some kind of relic synergy in those in those factions but perhaps not uh, but if there's anything that can search relics uh, this is going to be a prime target, and uh, I, 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 it's the kind of card that I want to see at Uncommon, where it's very powerful, but you might not be able to play it in every deck because it does require you know the the, the influence to play it and a fairly slow deck to be able to really take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I was wondering if you could sort of further explain what you mean by build around, because. Like, ignoring influence for a second, and we can get back to that. But, you know, like, by build around, do you just mean you need to be playing a slightly more controlling deck? Or is there, Well, you know... I'll tell you, I'm, I'm saying that partly because of another card that was spoiled, and the one that I'm not talking about, but uh, I should bring it up. There's another card that it gives plus one, plus one to all flyers, which is actually more of a build around card than this. And so I'm, I'm uh, this. It makes me think that this is a bit more of a trend, a little bit to have these mm-hmm. powerful uncommons. Uh, it's build around in the sense that you would that you would bend your deck to have the influence to play this. I think even more so than say the displays, which displays you would take and then maybe not play them. You know, because they're just one sh- they're one shot cards, um, and if you don't end up playing them in your deck, or if you ended up in three other factions, then it was pretty easy to cut them. This thing is so strong that the sorcerer's wand is so strong that I feel like if you have it, uh, figuring out a way to play it is is going to be very very valuable for you, and so that makes it feel like more of a build around. A more pure build around is the card which name whose name that I, I can't quite remember right now. Uh, that gives plus one, plus one to all of your flyers, and then I think you pay six to get any flyer, to draw any flyer out of your deck. That's a super build-around card. Um, I don't know if flyers need the help. It feels like usually flyers are pretty good in draft anyway without that card, Uh, but it is very good for that and makes even mediocre flyers look very attractive. So uh, it feels to me like a lot of the uncommons we're seeing for this new set have that kind of feeling to them where they're they're pretty big rewards if you warp your deck around them to some degree and i'm not sure that that's always true with the way the uncommons are set up and limited in eternal so it's a trend that i like uh if if that's actually what they're trying to do yeah i i feel like sort of green stretch empath was the first step in that direction because before green stretch empath it was things like oh what was it expedition leader you know, whereas like yeah. their original shot at it was a three cost one one that's sometimes drew you cards if you could keep this one one alive. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, 
no one will play this build around. So then they did Green Stretch <laughs> Empath, which is a fine card on its own, plus it's a build around. And you're seeing a lot more of those cards where you're like, wow, these are super like fine cards. And then if you warp your deck a little bit, they're even more powerful, which I think is a much better place for this. To that point, to your other point about this card in particular, people keep talking about like it's a since it's a three color card, you need to warp your deck around it. But when you think about set five, thing I remember about set five was playing three color cards was not that difficult. Yeah. Well, you know, and we'll I have feel to like see how difficult it is in this set, but because they're printing strangers, they will it'll probably be pretty easy to to fix your influence. But even in set five, where there were no strangers, they added the strangers in five point five. I say close analogy, but bear with me here. But like Coastal Beastmaster, right? Which was the three faction common that was also five cost. That was one of the most, I think, one of the strongest cards in the format. Definitely maybe closest. It was one of the strongest commons, at least. And, you know, in our spreadsheet was one of the most sort of powerful cards. And that card was just played in <laughs> every deck that could play it. But it was also a card that you would pick early and feel fairly confident that you could make it into your deck eventually. You know what I mean? I that, that's I'm not true. As well. Even though it was a three-faction card... It was a card that was powerful enough to pick early, and you could you would often be rewarded for taking them early. Yeah. And uh, I feel like Sorcerer's Wand is of the same power level. So maybe, I mean, I guess you could describe that as like warping your deck around it, but I guess I just think back to Beastmaster, where at the end, usually you're like, well, I'm really glad I picked these th <laughs> three Beastmasters up early, because this deck is awesome now, and it kind of made your it made the deck because it was such a powerful card. And even though you were like warping it around it, it was so good that you ended up with a pretty good deck at the end. And I feel like Sorcerer's Wand is similar. You're not going to end up with three of them because it's an uncommon, but it's like such a such a powerful card that I think it's going to be an early pick. Yeah. I think it's very much an early pick, but and maybe it would be more accurate rather than saying it's a build around card or that it's uh, a card that you warp your deck around. That it's just a very strong like signposting card, maybe or maybe that's mm -hmm. not the right word either. But a point, just a uh, just a very strong suggestion. You know, the kind of card that you pick up early and say, "I'm probably going to play these factions just because of this card," because there, if I can end up with enough playables, this is such a good top end to my deck. Um, and I think that's healthy for a draft format so that you're less likely to have people forcing specific archetypes each time. To have like really right. powerful uncommons like this to give you a strong uh, push to draft something that you might not normally draft, I think that's great. Because then that encourages people not to do the same thing every time and be fighting over the same resources. But then look, can we also talk... This card is bonkers, right? Pay two to stun an enemy unit. So it's like uh -huh. a slightly... So it's the same cost of Aya's Winter, which is yeah. one of the best draft cards there is. Or pay two to draw a card every turn. Yeah, I hear good so things about drawing that's cards. That's really great when you don't have a unit to stun. Yeah. And then who cares? I don't even know what the third ability is. Who cares? The third ability gives all of your units plus one, plus one, just this turn. At least it doesn't give, give them a plus one, plus one 
permanently or something. But no. but still, like it still it has a built-in alpha strike ability. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you if you get tired of controlling the board easily for a <laughs> for a while, then you can just make all of your units better for a turn and destroy. So yeah, yeah it really does everything that you need. A limited card to do it's absolutely absurd um and it just has a it has it just has a an expensive startup uh a, as you probably know i i'm iffy about cards like emerald ring and the other rings you know that give you a small amount of advantage over a over a long period of time but this is every one of these abilities is so strong that i i i think it it goes past any of those for me where i'm going to be uh, it, I'll be surprised if it doesn't end up being a, a first pickable card over just about anything in this format. I agree. So my card this week is what I think we're, we've decided is part of a, the same cycle. And it looks like in set five, which we keep comparing this to, um, you know, set five had the five displays and then at uncommon, which were three faction, and then five commons that were three faction and we have not seen any three faction commons yet but there seems to be a second cycle of three faction uncommons and so sorceress wand was the tjp one and then they also spoiled the fire time shadow one which is a six cost fire time shadow it's a 9-9, nine, nine, Awaken Gorger. at the start of your turn sacrifice a unit then you gain three life and get three power this turn. Quite a quite a card. <laughs> this is like a crazy card to me. Also, yeah, I hope it's I hope it's good in this format because it'll. I mean, maybe I don't hope it's good in this format because I I can just imagine seeing this thing across the table with uh like a few tokens or uh, I guess we'll get to I guess we'll get to other spoilers later, which this is also related to. Um, but just anything that you can like if there's three or four things on your opponent's side that they don't mind sacrificing uh you're dead you're just dead because they've got a nine nine and also they've got nine or ten power next turn and they keep gaining life that's pretty pretty good yeah yeah that's the 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 plus three power thing is is what's crazy to me is like yeah it, it gains you life so you're able to so you can attack with your 9-9. And it gains you plus 3 power so you can dump the rest of your hand, hopefully producing more fodder for your 9-9. Or if not, you've now dumped your hand, so who cares if your 9-9 dies after attacking yeah. once? Yeah, and it deals well with being stunned or permafrosted or anything like that. It's an, it can always sacrifice itself. Yeah. And then you get power. So they and you get power three. and health. It's uh, obviously potentially very powerful, and it just depends on how much sacrifice support there is in this set. But I think there's going to be plenty of sacrifice support in this set, like a ton of it. Yeah, my only complaint is it definitely has wings in its picture, but it doesn't have flying. Don't be no. fooled. Yeah, don't be fooled by it. Moving on to our seven-win run breakdown. This is our long-standing data collection uh, project where our listeners mail us their seven win drafts to farmingeternal@gmail.com or post them to the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord, which got a, an amazing facelift this week where we organized all our channels thanks to me and Jed. So check that out. We also we accept them in exported deck lists or in any kind of Eternal Warcry link. 
and then we take this information, we put it in a spreadsheet, and we share conclusions um, so all our listeners can benefit. And part of this process is shedding out everyone who sent in a list this past week. And a thank you to John for entering all the lists. So here we go. So our new contributors this week are Jerowen, as well as our veteran contributors, Agent Dynamo, Apricot Knight, Beard Broken, Ben Gracier, Damian D, Darth Herman II, D-Dubs, Dubes, Eric Files, Eric Phils, Flame Scar, Hats on Lamps, Iris, Jose Carlos 2121, Cassandra, King Neb, Another ship, Rofer, Rokoku, Sunblaze, Titus and Blossom, and X1550. So thank you again for taking the time to sending lists. This format is changing soon, so I think there's not really much to talk about. But I did want to give you a little pop quiz, Hats. Okay. So what do you think the overall in our spreadsheet, the number one rare was? The number one rare? Oh, this is a great pop quiz because I don't know the answer to this at all. The number one in uh, in Flames of Zalta? Flames of Zalta. So this would be the rare that was in the most deck lists that won seven times. We'll do both. It will be in the rare that appeared in the most deck list to relative to how often that color showed up. Relative to how often the color showed up. Oh, so do gosh. you know what I mean? So for example, if there were a hundred time decks and a rare showed up one time, and there was 300 primal decks and a rare showed up three times, they would show up in our spreadsheet as being equivalent. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I do, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a quick look here. Do, 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 do the rares that showed up the most in the most winning deck lists. Uh, okay. Well then in that case, I'm going to guess cast into shadow. Bingo. Um, I got one. Okay. And what is what now, which one am I trying to guess? You can do, let's do top three. Since you got okay. cast into shadow, right? Okay, Marizo. Nope. Nope, Marizo's not there. Okay. Waste on fa- waste on fragment? That not in the top three, but it is the rare that has showed up the most. Great. Because that was the one that I was gonna guess first before I knew what the parameters were. Oh really? Wow, you would have picked Waystone Fragment over Marizo. Yeah, yeah, I would have. I because I feel like even at the beginning when a lot of people didn't know how good Marizo was. Waystone Fragment was still obviously bonkers. Yeah. Like, we already had a card exactly like that, and it's one of the best cards in the game, so we I figured we everyone would have seen that and been like, well, I don't know what else is going on in this set, but I know given everything plus one plus one is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to guess Shenra Speaks. No. Not at all? Nope. Okay, then uh, Sodi's Spellshaper. That's my last guess. Sodi's Spellshaper number four. Okay. So number two, Forbidden Rider Outcast. Oh, sure. Of course. I guess. Not really, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's a good card. I wouldn't have yeah. put it at the very top, though. This is a bit of a cheat because number three is Karen Ascended. It's a bit of a cheat because especially for rares where your sample slice is a little lower, multi-faction rares end up moving up because, for example, Forbidden Rider Outcast, they're just fewer Puru decks. Yeah. And so it takes fewer of them to show up to really boost up its percentage. I also would have thought where did where did Sodi's spell shaper end up? Number four. Oh yeah, okay. Well at least it's high up there because it should be. Yes. It's one of the easiest cards to splash for in the format and everything. So Yeah. Um and so like Waystone Fragment is the first sort of single faction card that or rare that showed up, which 
which means it has like a sort of higher sample size of sorts because because we see more time decks than we do Huru decks. I guess what I'm learning, there's not a lot of good single faction rares, huh? Not really. No, you just sort of look at this list, and I mean, Tota Colony is pretty great. Marizo. Yeah, Tota Colony did not show up really at all. Tota Colony is like way, way down in the number of appearances. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I agree. I don't it's know. One of the, it's one of the strongest cards you can have in a fire deck, honestly. Like for four power, it does so much. Yeah, and even when you're thinking like, oh, it doesn't have very aggressive stats, it doesn't it doesn't matter. So I feel like you would play that in any fire deck you had. So when I was looking at the rares, I it was actually the card that sort of stood out to me as being surprisingly far down down the list. Where yeah. it's like almost it's like rated in the spreadsheet as like slightly above rare replacement level which is not how powerful i would consider no. the card no i think it's a lot better than that i've seen some i i mean i've seen some disagreements like during streams when it's come up and people don't um, don't realize how powerful it is or disagree or whatever so i guess it's just uh i i wouldn't be able to psychoanalyze like why people don't respond to it appropriate to its power level um or maybe it's not as good as i think it is but i've seen that game single-handedly win so many games that i'm not i would never I would never pass it or cut it from a deck or yes. anything. So I don't know. It should be right up there. Anyway, but yeah, there's that. There's Waystone Fragment. There's Marizo. There's Soothing Shortbeak, which is really not that impressive a card. I thought it would be a lot better than it turned out to be. It's still good. You play it, but um, it, its effect on the board isn't as powerful as, as, as I originally thought. Soul Flame Rider, which sometimes just has to get cut from your deck if you don't get the Decimate cards. Daring Griffin, which is good, but uh, also can be dealt with. Because in the end, it it has reckless. So sometimes you just wait for it to attack and then and then ignore it for the whole game. Uh, <laughs> not that it's not a good card, but it is that is all, all sometimes that is a way of dealing with it. And uh, Shadow doesn't have anything <laughs> at all, and uh, that's it. Yeah, the only other card that really stood out to me is Ela and Mizo, which also oh, yeah. Hardly appears in our spreadsheet. It's actually for what you would expect it to show up. So it's even less than you would just like expect if someone like put a random rare in there. It's uh, kind of interesting. Of our 350 plus deck lists of 7.5, and 97 of those decks are who are Elysian decks. Only three copies of Ela and Mizo. Because it seems like a powerful card. I mean, it is one of those where you have the opposite effect of Waystone Fragment almost where it's so obviously powerful that it's overdrafted. And so it ends up not, you know, so actually fewer good decks and good players end up with it. Yeah, that could be. It's it's pretty hard to get a hold of one of them. Especially for how often I seem to play against it. Yeah, I play <laughs> against it and it and it usually it usually beats me. It's a it's a really hard card to deal with. So one would think that it would assist people getting seven wins. But I guess those people are not submitting their deck lists to us. Yeah. I've only had Elon Mizo, I think, in two decks in the entire run of this format. So it could be just that, like, I've never, not, sometimes I'm not in a position to pick it up because it is, it does require two of, of two different factions. So sometimes I just have to pass it. But even, yeah, I don't, I just haven't seen it. Yeah, but some, see, of some of these other things I've probably played like, you know, I've had Forbidden Rider Outcast quite a few times, Cast into Shadow quite a few times, Kieran Ascended a lot. Um, I've been past Generous Speaks a ton of times. 
So yeah, when I when I really start thinking about it, out of all of these rares, I've had it in actually in a deck maximum two times this whole time. And this is someone who plays a lot of drops, so yeah, fair amount. So you'd think I would have run into it because I wasn't certainly wasn't afraid of drafting a lesion. I drafted a lot of muster what back in back in seven point oh, not so much in seven point five, but seven point oh for sure. And I would have taken every Elon Miso and tried to play it in those decks, but just didn't work out. Oh, and then I guess our last fun fact about our seven win spreadsheet. And so you guys, you really stepped up. So in set 7.0, there were only two cards in the common and uncommon slot that we received zero copies of. I have no idea. You okay. want to give me tiny <laughs> hints until I guess? One's a choice. Oh, one's a choice. Well, that's Elas's choice. Yep. We received zero copies of that in set seven. Okay. Uh, and then the other is uh, power. Is the one that just gains you one life and has no influence, is that an uncommon? Yeah, Sacred Seal, that's an uncommon, and we received zero copies of that. Okay. But you know what? Our listeners, they, they could not stand for that. And so in 7.5, some soul, and I don't know if it was the same soul, <laughs> could be two different people, uh-huh. put in Elos' choice in their deck and yeah. got seven wins. And either the same crazy person or another person put a sacred seal in their deck and got seven wins. And so we have zero fox commons or uncommons that haven't gotten seven wins. That's great. Zero draft chaff. Well done. Well done, Direwolf. (laughs) Zero draft chaff. Turns out even sacred seal has a single home. That's amazing. I, I... I hope there was no synergy for life gain in that whole deck. Nothing. I beckoning. know. I, like it would be. I can imagine adding it to a deck. I'm like, I've got a beckoning lumen. I would love to draw a card just playing a power. <laughs> but I hope there was nothing like that. It was just there for the life gain to to maybe save themselves from being killed for exact damage. <laughs> I hope that they were at one <laughs> for one game and then and then turned it around because they played that card. They're like, nope, that uh, that snowball in your hand, not going to kill me. Nope, I have one more life than you were planning on. <laughs> do we have a main topic this week? What we do. So we're going to, now that um this Tuesday, they're adding the new, like last time, they're adding the set eight cards to the draft packs. And I imagine that they're going to have to change up the draft packs in some ways, because last time where they just added them to the draft packs, there was no boosted cards or things like that. And so I think they're going to have to include some changes um, this time around. So the format changes upon us, and that means set eight is coming out soon. So we thought we'd do our sunset show this week. And so for those of you who haven't listened to a sunset show before, we kind of model this off of uh, Limited Resource, which is a magic podcast. We kind of just go through, reminisce a little bit about the set, and say goodbye. So to begin with, Hats, yes. what is your one-sentence summary of the Set 7 draft format? Since I don't know what this is supposed to be, my one-sentence summary is Immortalized goes with everything. Yeah, That's pretty good. I... It's a theme that I've come back to in a few of our episodes, actually, which is like, well, this unit does this and this, but boy, it sure goes well with Immortalize. <laughs> And it's fun. Immortalize really sort of brought together a lot of the mechanics of the set. 
obviously decimate, but also it gave basically any unit that had any kind of ability on it um, sort of this extra lease on life. Like, And it was one of only two cards, I think, that could give exalted to any unit uh the other one would be the the one where the 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 fire one where the unit sacrifices itself at the end of the turn oh you forgot your favorite card i did forget my favorite card what's my favorite card stand strong oh stand strong yeah and that sure doesn't count so (laughs) (laughs) you can't control you can't control when it dies it has exalted, but no one cares. It, just, it might as well have unblockable or chump block me or whatever. Don't kill me this turn is what it should say. Yeah, it might as well say invulnerable to damage instead of exalted for all the effect that it has on the game. Uh, stand strong. Anyway, yeah, Immortalize is a super fun card, uh, very powerful. And and the fact that it basically is good on any unit and it's good on different units in different ways makes it, I think, I think made it one of the reasons why the format was fun to play. So, yeah. Yeah, Immortalize goes with everything. Speaking of fun and interactive gameplay, my sentence is silence is good. Silence is good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's a thing we all learn this format. And you know, you can listen to last week's episode to hear my full thoughts on it. I think its negative effects on the format were a little bit overblown, but this format was a good PSA that silence is good, Grodas Favored is good, Archive yeah. Curator, pretty good card. I remember near the beginning of the format when people were really trying to get a handle on how to deal with all those big exalted weapons, people were picking up Mute and playing it. And it's not that there's anything wrong with Mute, but it turned out that there were enough silence effects in the format with Grodos Favorite and Archive Curator and all that that you didn't usually actually have to, to play Mute. But yeah. uh, but I do remember when, when people were, were drafting it and playing it really high, it was like, oh, holy cow, silence... Is, is good in this format yeah <laughs> like i can play a spell that's just devoted to silencing things and it's it's not bad yeah and i think there you know there's reasons to believe that in this next format it seems like they're continuing with this lots of flyer themes so you know keep that in mind i think going forward they're probably going to keep bring. They're probably going to keep bring down as the as the main uh dual faction common in the curated draft pack so that will continue to be a great card mm-hmm I agree. All right. So now, more specifically, Hats, how did you like the format now that we're, uh, it's coming to a close? I I really enjoyed it. I think I think for me, what makes me enjoy a format is if there are a lot of different strategies to explore, like a lot of different deck archetypes. Uh, there will be the obvious easy ones to draft, sort of like Combray was at the beginning of this format. Um, and then Rakano when people discovered Onis. And then there will be the more subtle ones. I was really pleased that Mill ended up being a thing that you could actually win games with. And I discovered that by having it shown to me by my opponents. Because <laughs> so I didn't really want to believe that Mill was a legitimate archetype. But I got beaten by it a few times. I was like, this is a genuinely powerful thing. And then once I started trying to draft Mill, uh, it ended up being one of my favorite things to draft when it was open. And... I know it wasn't a lot of people's favorite thing to draft or or to play against, but I, I really liked that it was a, a totally different way of winning games that actually was supported this time around. Maybe we don't need that in every set, but I, I'm glad that it worked in this one. And, uh, and just how subtle the deck archetypes ended up being 
uh, once you knew what your two main factions were, you often knew what color you would be splashing before you even saw the cards that you would be splashing for, because you start, you would know what three factions tended to go together by the end of the draft. Um, so that's good. I think overall it was pretty well designed. There's always a few weird hiccups, like some cards that feel a little bit too powerful or, or the, you know, basically that. Sometimes there's a few things that seem a little bit too powerful and, and some quirks that result in people ending up with eight intrepid longhorns in their deck and that kind of thing. But, um, but pretty good for an eternal draft format, especially. Uh, I think they did a great job with this one. Yeah, I have uh, very similar similar feelings about it. One of the interesting things to me is because, like, as we go through these questions, if you just, I feel like, just read the show notes or the answers to these questions, you're like, wow, this is a pretty solved format. And, you know, there were, like, a lot of very obvious, quote-unquote, best fact- faction and or quote unquote like best faction pair quote unquote best commons i think were all pretty obvious and there were you know a lot of super powerful cards and a fair number of cards that felt to me like misses but the wising crone greed's reward kind of style cards all felt like they were slightly underpowered but despite all of that i had a lot of fun and like you were saying there was like mill there was the muster deck which really felt like it couldn't possibly work but then was just like a blast to try to build and play yeah and And sometimes it worked exactly and i mean it was a shame that sort of when they switched the pack order and went to 7.5 it felt a lot harder to get into by the end. And um, so by the end, I was almost never drafting it, uh, which was a little sad because I really did enjoy drafting that archetype. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, so I, I liked it. I liked how they did mill. And then there were a few different um, you know, ways to go about that sort of archetype. And the fact that they turned malaise into not only a playable card sometimes, but playable in like different situations. They're like malaise, you could use malaise not just to mill your opponent out, but you could like use it cleverly. And the fact that that was supported in this format, I thought was really cool. Yeah, that was it was. And also you could draft. I think it's very important for a draft format for you to be able to draft an aggressive deck, uh, a control deck, like a mid-range deck, a good range of like different styles, uh, regardless of the internal synergies or the mechanical themes. Just mm-hmm. knowing that you could do aggro well and slower decks well as well make makes the uh, makes the whole format feel a little bit more balanced. And uh, I know there's been discussion in various corners of of the internet. Uh, that say that maybe aggro was too strong or not strong enough or whatever, but it felt balanced to me because I, my my personal seven win decks were all over the map as far as how fast they were, you know. So I know that um, I think that's a big part of what felt good is that mm-hmm. I I like I love I, li- I like being able to draft aggro and have it be genuinely good in a limited format but not feel like that's the only way to win. Next, a few sort of quick hit questions. So what faction ended up being the best? And I would say time. Yeah, I agree. I think that was far. It was pretty clear. They had 
Gordas favored, which uh, might as well go right into it. Best common from Flames Azalta packs? It's Grodos favored, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a, a major reason for it. And I don't think time was the only thing you like you had to play, but it was, I think, the best faction. Yeah, I think it was. And I think Shadow like really picked up some steam once we went into 7.5. Mm-hmm. But I agree. What pushes time to be like even if you ignore the time before 7.5 when time was sort of clearly best it's still a much more splashable faction than shadow now like a lot of shadows good cards that you would want to splash are double influence eviscerate and like cast into shadow and 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 the four power one that makes it fail ritual like all of those things that you would splash if they were if they were a single influence you don't really end up doing so shadow is very rarely your splashed color but time often is like there's almost yes. no deck you can be in where you see a Grodov's favorite three or third or fourth pick in pack two and 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 don't consider it so it being a good main color and a good splash color and having some of the most powerful commons like i'll splash for a kairos choice no matter what i'll splash for omri's choice splash for uh ascended kieran you know there's just the endless cards where time is that make time a great support color as well as a, a great like as well as a great main color if you're playing Xenon or Praxis or Combray. It just sort of did everything. Do you have a best common in the set seven point five draft packs? Probably not a single best common. There are some really good ones. It's probably still changey stick to be honest. That's an unboosted card. Oh, best yeah. boosted card? Uh, let's see. What do we got? I think the top three are probably Blurry Chaser, the Explorer, the Shadow Explorer Lady. Alley Guide's good. Um, I, I guess Bannerman is probably one of the top commons too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They're not they're not that exciting, not any of them really. <laughs> I know. That's, that's they're old the cards problem. and they're still good. Would you take a Blurry Chaser or an Alley Guide pack one, pick one? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that's a real good question. I think they're of similar power level. I would probably take Alley Guide because the faction is stronger. Because even if I end up in a in an aggressive deck and it's Stone Scar, I probably would take Alley Guide over Blurry Chaser in that case. It's just so good. But if I, if I take Alley Guide and don't end up in an aggressive deck, I will still be happy. Uh, that's also true of Blurry Chase. There's no way that I can really qualify this. They're both good cards. I don't want to choose between my children. Yeah, and I think that explains a lot about this format, where when they switched the order, things got a lot more complicated. Blurry Chaser, uh, Crooked Alley Guide, if you're listening, uh, I was forced into answering this question. I love both of you. <laughs> well, you didn't answer, so I don't know how much I'm forcing. So what card were you hoping to open in... Uh... In sets in flames from the flames Alta packs. So I I said Marizo here, and I think I can back that up. I think it's probably the biggest bomb in the format. But uh, since we spent the since we spent the an earlier part of this uh, cast talking about some of the other rares, a lot of those would be I would be happy to see. And it's mo- I mostly say Marizo because it, it's not dual faction, and so it's a fairly easy one to actually put in pretty much any deck. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's hardly a card in the entire format that's that's better top end for practically anything. I have splashed time to play Marizo before because it's uh, by the time you get to it, you've probably drawn like two of your four like time in uh, time influences in your deck, 
your time two of your four time sources so yeah I, we, we've talked about marizo before it's just uh such an unstoppable card and i wouldn't normally say that any seven drop is a card that you're hoping to open but that's because most seven drops have an answer and marizo is almost impossible to stop with just one card it's it's card it 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 takes at least two cards to take care of it as a problem. So I think I think maybe permafrost is the only way to do it. Is there any legendaries you'd really want to open? Oh, I wasn't even considering legendaries. I mean, yeah, there's a ton of legendaries that are basically too good. Um, Incarnus is, is uh, too good for draft. And all of the listeners really qualify here, but Incarnus is the best one since it's unblockable. Uh, the The... Speaking of listeners, though, the primal one is also very, very good because it pings everything to death. But uh, Incarnus is the best one of those, as it is in Constructed. And I don't know. I can't think of any other legendaries. I know there's a handful of others that are completely ridiculous, but I've seen them so infrequently that I'm not, you know, I don't hope to open them. And I would never hope to open a particular... Like, I'm excited to see a good legendary when I see one. But, you know, that's like, it's totally random prize that you get. Yeah. Rares you can develop an opinion about and then use that opinion later. I've seen Marizo a ton in this draft format at this point uh, because mm-hmm. everyone that everyone that sees one takes it and plays it. So I've gotten to play against it and with it quite a few times. Yeah, I think Marizo is a pretty good answer. I, I'm going to back myself from my myself up from like 30 seconds ago and say that that was fine. What 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 would be the card that that you'd think of? Yeah, well, now that we talked about Akarnas, I think Akarnas is. If I were to just be like, man, this is the card I want to open. And I could dream for anything. But, you know, I, I like I, I've talked about this before. I think one of the things I like about Eternal is that even, like, the bombiest bombs are... Uh, man, Shadow has some good legendaries. Carvet's probably pretty hard to beat. Yeah, I've had Carvet in a deck before. It is it is hard to beat. Yeah. Kozen, Ko- well, there's a, there's a bunch of legendaries that are absolutely absurd. Kozen, Darkheart. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I take it or leave that one. Really, Kozen is Kozen is pretty unbeatable once it's on the on the table because you can't attack into it with anything that can't immediately kill it. You know. I guess that's true. Aramot is obviously pretty stupid. Yeah, I don't know. Ever since I found Aramot doesn't have flying, I've decided it's unplayable. Uh huh. Uh huh. That makes sense. I mean, it's it's floating. You know, it has super flying, right? It's unblockable. <laughs> you can't block a flyer though. What's the what use is it? Eight health if you can't block a flyer. Yeah, yeah. Well, who cares that the flyer immediately dies after it does damage? <laughs> when you have less health than the flyer, you care. Well, okay, so Verret is is also one that I would hope to open. Verret's a pretty good card. But, I mean, Verret's just a 2-3 if it can't attack freely, so I guess it's not on the same level, but you would never cut it from any deck. But I think I'd rather take an Arcanus. All right, well, that was a fun walk through memory lane of legendaries and (laughs) (laughs) relevant relevant conversation legendaries in draft should you take them yes how about in the draft box was there any card that you're hoping to open thunderstrike dragon is the main one uh i think they're of the i mean i'm uh, i'm not also i'm not talking about legendaries oh my gosh easy diza's office you think what (laughs) okay i've never played with or against diza's office on this one is that the wait? That's the site. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, and also, I've never opened a Thunderstrike Dragon, and I've never—I don't think I've played one in this format. I've faced them many times. Uh, I've seen people open them on stream. 
I have never opened one myself, as far as I know, as far as I can remember. And and so it's a it's 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 to me this is the impossible dream. It's interesting. I it's a, I really like the card. It's really good. Triple Primal seems so much harder to me than my Triple Shadow Fart and Carnus. I don't know why. It's just yeah. like a lot harder to to really go main Primal. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that you are going to have to 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 make that one of your main factions. It's harder to envision the deck with Thunderstrike Dragon in it, but some people open a Thunderstrike Dragon and then it's just like crazy primal flyer after crazy primal flyer after that, and then then it seems a lot easier to imagine the final deck. So anyway, what 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 card do you hope it to open in the draft packs? Jesus <laughs> office doesn't count. Oh no, it totally does. I'm sorry. If that's is that your answer? Yeah, it's yeah. A great what card. a great card. Sure is. So is there any card that you felt like you underrated at first that ended up being better than you thought? I would say Immortalize is the best example of this. At first, I thought Immortalize was was pretty much just a raised dead kind of effect and would be about as valuable as that. And and really, I kind of underestimated Exalted at the very, very beginning of this format. So I didn't really quite understand how cool it would be to put Exalted on anything I felt like. Uh, and the Immortalize does that really well, and it's good. So it went from being a card that I was sort of overlooking to not that I wouldn't play it because raised dead effects are good, but I uh, or dark return in in this game, but I uh, I wasn't valuing it any higher than that, uh, and then it, it turned out that it it was one of the most fun and powerful cards in uh, in the format without being overpowered. I never felt like it was an unfair card, even though it was very strong. Uh, at least you had to to sacrifice one of your power in order to to get that crazy effect off of it. I feel like it was a balanced and fun and neat card, and I didn't see it that way when I when I first saw it. What about you? I picked Gaudy Showman. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, recently. Yeah, we've so we've talked about it, and you know this was a card where the first time I saw it, it just felt like a four one, just didn't seem playable, and. Fire has had a history of high attack, low health units that aren't very good in draft. I thought this might be another one of those, but it ended up being like a a really good role player and a card, like I mentioned in our Fire episode, that I was really happy to have multiple copies of and ended up doing a lot of work for me. So I think Gaudi Showman is one that the fact that it was three costs and had a powerful summons effect was made it a lot better than its body looked so was there any card you overrated well this is kind of a joke answer but uh i overrated stand strong because i thought it was a fast spell when i first saw it and i thought it was terrific then i could not believe i was getting past so many of them uh (laughs) and then it turned out that it's not a fast spell at all not really that good of a card but otherwise like for real answers like there i i could i I racked my brain a little bit on this question. I could not find anything. I, I guess I tend to underestimate cards rather than overestimate them in general. Because mm. uh, uh, every card that I that I looked at ended up being about what I thought it would be or better. Yeah, the card that I picked was Green Stretch Empath. Okay. And not that it was a bad card, but I by the end I had to admit that I shouldn't just snap pick every single copy that I saw and try to jam it into a deck. Yeah, yeah. it's a card with a lot of potential was a bit undersupported, I guess. Although Muster was such a powerful mechanic that if they had supported it better, I can see it being oppressive in the format. So 
it probably was about right. But yeah, it wasn't a uh, green stretch empath wasn't a card that you just needed to snap up. And I can see seeing it that way for sure. Yeah. So. So then, what was your favorite type of deck to play in this format? Uh, I picked the most annoying answer to this, which was Feln Ravens. And that's basically Mill. Although sometimes, like whether or not Feln Ravens was a was a deck that was trying to win by actually erasing your opponent's library or just powering up uh, some other cards in it, there was sort of a range there. But in general, that was my favorite type to play. And I think it's because it attacks it attacks the opponent along a different vector than you normally get to. Just having a single Wretched Raven forces your opponent to kind of play the game differently. Like, you're racing them even if they don't want to race, even if they have uh, the board basically under control, except for this one unit that's attacking for one each turn. They still have to deal with that. You know, they can't afford to hang around because that game, that card can win the game on its own. So uh, I ended up having a lot of fun... Like, I always was really enjoyed it when I saw that I was getting a few Wretched Ravens and that I was going to be able to build this deck. Um, I'm sure that this was less fun for my opponents because it's not fun sitting there watching Ravens come at you uh, and, and knowing that you're not going to lose from damage but from running out of cards and that you're forced to take action because uh, you can't just sit there and, and get hit by Ravens over and over. But I don't see how that's really any worse than getting hit by any other flyer. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just that your opponent also is watching cards go into their void and seeing the answers to the Ravens in their void. And I think the psychological effect of that is probably pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, like, immortalizing a, a, a wretched Raven is a, a very demoralizing thing to do. <laughs> you know, it's like, you killed it! It's back! <laughs> and then and then Fearstoker Raven is, is straight up one of my favorite cards in the format. I love that it comes out as a 0-5 and just sort of hangs around being a regular bird, although a very, very tough bird to kill, and then slowly becomes the most terrifying thing on the battlefield. I think of it in terms of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and the famous scene where there's just people sort of sitting on a park bench and there's just a couple of birds behind them, and then there's a cut, and then there's a lot more birds, and then there's a lot more birds, and that's what Fearstoker Raven feels like to me. It's like it starts out as a bird. And then it's a lot of birds. And then it's a 6-5. Holy crap. <laughs> it, it just has that presence to it. So the combination of those two cards, they work well together. Um, and they enable a deck type that I don't normally get to play in Eternal Limited. Made it, makes it so um, that was kind of, that ended up being one of my favorite things to play. Yeah, Fearstoker Raven was tricky for me. Because it actually got me a few times. I would always forget that it was an end of turn trigger. And then think I was about to blow my opponent out mid-combat with, like, a malaise or something. But yeah. also, sometimes your opponent would forget that Fearstoker Raven triggers at the end of each turn. And they would, you know, use a card that discards one of their own cards or something and grow the Fearstoker Raven for you. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. Mine is similar. I Any card where I could get Rosebloom Mandrake... For cheap, sure. I thought it was kind of a fun strategy. I had less <laughs> luck sort of actually milling my opponents out than you did, but I did like playing these like more tricky milled decks where you're kind of doing 
you were still like winning on the ground, but you were like felt clever, you know, doing these things like playing a fervent siphoner and then, you know, playing the sunset priest and then a little while later playing a, the mandrake for cheap cheap. So I was cool that, that, that this kind of film ish strategy, you know, it had multiple avenues to win. So I really liked that too. So what card did you play that you never did what you wanted it to do? I picked Wizen Crown for this uh, because that's the that's the part that's the segment of this format that I never was able to make work for me was the spell damage part. I did have I think I've had a total of one seven win deck with Wizen Crown in it in the whole format, and that was really recent. And it was just a very very aggressive Skycrag deck. I don't think it had anything in it that cost more than four. But it had a, a few yetis that could create snowballs, so I included the wizened crones just so those snowballs would be a little bit more powerful, and they did fine. Uh, mm-hmm. That worked out. That worked out okay. But the, it, but I had actually greed's reward and reverberating strike in my pool, and I cut them from that deck with the two wizened crones in it because that wasn't the strategy. I wasn't planning to to get value off of them. It, I was planning to throw snowballs at my opponent's face mostly. So <laughs> I was so even in that I didn't get the synergy going and I don't know, it just never worked out for me, but I saw it work against me. It felt extremely strong when I was facing it uh and and a good deck builder had had managed to pull all of that stuff together. Uh, just never happened for me. Either I got the Wizened Crones and absolutely no damage spells, or I got uh, the spells that would be good with Crones and never got the never saw the Crones. Uh, just, just never things never lined up. Yeah, I mean, I could give the same answer because I've never really was able to play the spell damage deck. But the other deck that never really materialized for me was the Decimate deck. I never played a cheap Soul Flame Rider before. I was never able to go off with Elos's Elite or something. You know, I would draft them and then not get the Decimate cards. Or just because the Decimate cards were good, I would draft the Decimate cards and then never get any of these payoff cards. So maybe like an an unsupported deck. But I think it would have been cool to play a zero-cost 6-6 Flying Endurance Soul Flame Rider one day. Yeah, that would be nice. I think what both of these these answers have in common is that the mechanics were fairly parasitic, you know, like mm-hmm. like spell damage only applies to a small handful of cards in the entire format. Decimate, obviously, the, the card actually has to say decimate on it. And most of the decimate cards weren't really, I mean, most of the decimate cards aren't really that great. Like Immortalize and Draw Strength were the really good ones. And then all of the others were a little iffy. So, uh, yeah. So and the really good it. ones were really good, so you right. were less likely to, to see them. Yeah, the cards that are that sort the 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 deck archetypes that sort of revolve around mastery or like, uh, you know, buffing units that are still in your hand or something like that are much more universal. You can apply that to anything, but but spell damage and and decimate were much narrower. Even muster, all you have to do is have both attachments and spells in your deck, and you can activate it. Um, and you can do that in a variety of ways. You don't even need to use spellcraft weapons. But spell damage, uh, really not that many cards that actually ping off of it. Okay, so what yeah. card made you groan when your opponents played it against you? Unkindness, and that's my answer 
throughout this format <laughs> to this. I've hated this card from the beginning, and I still hate it. So, uh, yeah, I'm even when I know that I'm going to be able to play units uh, for the next few turns, I see that unkindness, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> just... <laughs> It, either I groan because I know that now I have to deal with three ravens on the next turn, or I groan because my opponent played a blank card against me, and that always makes me a little sad when that happens. It's yeah, it's such a swingy card that I uh, that I'm never happy with how it plays. So that one, easy answer. What what card do you, did you think of? If I were to go up in rarity, I would think I would say Ela Muso. It's just sure. like how am I don't know attack into this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no more attacks. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because almost obviously if the Marizo, I guess Marizo also has ma- mastery. So, yeah, both of those, you're just like, what? I don't know what I'm going to do. And I've definitely beaten them, both cards. But, boy, does it make you groan before you do it. <laughs> okay, so was there a card that an opponent would play that made you think, I absolutely cannot lose to this card? So I wasn't sure exactly how to interpret this question. Uh, does that is it the me? Does it mean that I see that card and I'm like, uh oh, that could potentially beat me, but it's a, a bad card that my opponent shouldn't be playing. So I hope I don't lose now. Yes, is, you interpreted it correctly. Okay, then my answer is Chant to Grodoff, and I think it's a good answer because Chant to Grodoff isn't a great card. I played it at the beginning of the format to just sort of see because uh, it seemed like it might com- com- combine with some of the some cards like Champion Grappler and that kind of thing pretty well. But I ended up mostly cutting it because it's such a terrible top deck and of course it doesn't create board presence by itself. But I still see people playing me, uh, it against me pretty often. Um, so often. It's crazy. So often. All the time. And I'm always thinking, well now... I don't know how to change how I'm playing now because I don't know what was actually in their hand, but I know every unit they play from now on is going to be super annoying. <laughs> and and I hope I don't lose to this. I hope I don't lose to I hope the fact that they don't have that card in their hand anymore means that they run out of steam because I otherwise uh, this is going to be a super annoying game. So yeah, that's that inspires that card more than anything else inspires that feeling in me, I think. I've seen my opponent my opponents play some really bad cards um that don't do anything at all but then it's just like oh they're just inexperienced at draft and they don't know what's good you know i've had that curse played on me that draws a card if i draw more than one card in my turn which is clearly unplayable in draft because how often does someone even get to draw more than one card in their turn but i've had it played on me they were like oh it's a curse i'm gonna put it in my deck uh that one didn't make me think oh i hope i don't lose to that card because I'm not gonna. <laughs> That's blank. But Chant to Grodoff has enough effect on the game that you can potentially lose, and then it feels real bad. What's your answer to this question? Yeah, mine was originally going to be Chant. That's like my Chant to Grodoff. It's like that card where I'm just like, <laughs> this lucky bastard has Chant to Grodoff <laughs> in their opening hand. I better win this game. But then, and this is sort of closer into the vein of cards you were just saying, recently someone played a turn one Vicious Rumors against me. Does that the one just, just, from just hand? make you discard two cards from yeah, the top of your deck? Yeah, sure, from their hand, yeah. And I was like, all right, time to buckle down because I cannot <laughs> lose this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, that's not uh, in this set, but it did happen recently. It's in the it's a it's for some reason a boosted card. Yeah, for mill purposes, I guess. I but wish they would I wish Firewolf would stop doing that. Either that or print more than one card total that puts cards on the top of your deck. But there is only one, as far as I know, that mm-hmm. puts a, actually puts a card on the top of your deck. So you can't do funny tricks with warp. It's just it, they just printed on really bad spells. <laughs> yes. And it's definitely not worth a card. I'd rather I'd rather Bren scrying then. Because at least Bren scrying lets you know what you're going to draw next sometimes. So then <laughs> this is another one. What's your what's the final top comments in each of the five colors? So this is it's sort of a I don't know if this is more true for this format than others or for this set for Flames of Zalta. But the top commons feel really weird to me, like mm-hmm. all of these, because the the cards that are strongest are generally not the ones that I want to have a bunch of in my deck. They just happen to be like they're almost like the spice to the deck. So I don't know. Uh, and, and also because the most powerful commons are tend to be the dual faction commons rather than the single faction commons in this right. set. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a limited question. But my answers are for time, Grodos favored, uh, followed by Spike Tail Kieran. Uh, for justice, uh, still draw strength over any of the units. Um, mm-hmm. It might be an overrated card, but it's still an extraordinarily strong card. Uh, for fire, it's actually a pretty tough choice. I chose Warhorn because I think it's a, a a versatile card that's good in a lot of different types of decks. But you could make an argument for some of the units, or even really like Shaka Evangel might be the best card. It's a it's a two two for two with with Berserk that fixes your influence. It's very very good. And it's an Oni. And it's an Oni. Yeah. So overall, it might very well be Shaka Evangel. There's a legitimate argument for that. But I've always kind of liked Warhorn, so I'm. I'm I th- and I think it plays well in this particular format, so I'd probably choose that, but it might not be the right choice. In Shadow, I would choose Immortalize. Uh, Marsh Dragon is in contention, but Immortalize is always playable, and Marsh Dragon sometimes has a hard time fitting into a deck, so Immortalize, but I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't play more than two Immortalizes in any deck, so it's a little weird having it be the strongest card. And then in Primal, uh, none of them. Uh, I, <laughs> none of the commons are are actually good, so you have to choose the best of the of the lot. And I guess that's Sky Horror Draconis, but that's a seven drop, and you don't even want to play more than one of those. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Though I, it's definitely in a better spot than it was in set six, which is that's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I kind of agree with your summary. That's this is what I was kind of talking about, where it felt like the quote unquote powerhouses of the format were pretty in each color were pretty well defined. <laughs> As a final takeaway or summary, so is there anything about did did you feel like this draft format taught you something to help you improve your limited game or did you take anything away from this draft format that you feel like you can apply to future formats? I'm going to extend my experimentation period at the beginning of the format a little bit and really try to dig into all of the mechanics and not settle on a best one as early because i think i missed out on some of the playable archetypes um because i tried them and then i wasn't able to make them work and then i kind of moved on uh that's how i missed mill at the beginning of the format and uh i'm after i started getting beaten by it i went back and re-explored it and figured out how to make it work and i'm glad i did that i could have found it myself you know uh part of the part of a draft format is learning from what you're playing against 
and what other good players are doing. But part of it is just figuring it out for yourself and getting that um, instinct, especially if you're willing to play as much as I am. Um, so I think that's the main thing because this format had so many viable strategies in it, even though there were some clear, uh, strong strategies, so many things worked that it's, it was worth spending time figuring out what they are and really kind of experimenting wildly to, to see if you can find power in places that you might not expect it. So that's my plan for this next format is to really dig into everything that they, they give us to offer, even if it doesn't seem powerful at first. What about you? What, what I learned from this format is that it's now three formats in a row where I've had the most success with a certain style of deck, like a slightly more aggressive red deck. And I still don't feel consistently comfortable drop, drafting outside of that range. And having you as a, a as the co-host, it, I think I'm looking forward to set eight. And mm -hmm. as we explore that and sort of letting the things that you figure out and trying to mimic that and going forward. So I am looking forward to that because... It felt like this was another format where when I was having fun, I was drafting the Elysian Muster deck and doing other stuff in the mill decks. And I was like having fun. But when I wanted to win, I ended up <laughs> relying on these aggressive strategies either and not really feeling like I could consistently get good decks outside of that range. Yeah, that's probably a good show topic to do at some point in the future is just like uh, when you're drafting a certain type of deck where the actual power in it is uh, mm -hmm. beyond just like, hey, these cards go together. Uh, what's that extra thing that you need in that deck to make it actually win? Like we were talking about with uh, with Mustard decks and green stretch empath it's it's not good enough just to have green stretch empath and then some things that activate it so that you can draw the cards you also have to win those games and they're so you need a little extra something and it's usually not that complicated an answer but identifying where the power is in certain archetypes can be very valuable final question hats so if there was a flashback draft or something in a couple years do you think you'd play set seven again yeah i think i would i, I certainly would yeah, I think that would be fun. Yeah, I'd like, I, to, I I'd like to see a lot of these cards again, come to think of it, uh, if if they had been out of rotation for a little while and some of these dynamics. Yeah, yeah, I'd have fun with it. All right, so, well, goodbye, Flames of Zalta. Bye, Flames nice of Zalta. You. I mean, we don't have to play you for another couple weeks yet, but but you're gone in our hearts. Yeah, right. you're gone. You're gone in our hearts. <laughs> God. So we've discovered today the new, the new one of the new mechanics in the upcoming draft format, or the up, I mean just the upcoming set. But since I only care about draft, uh, <laughs> the upcoming draft format, uh, it's called Corrupted. Do you want to explain it? Corrupted is an ability. It has a number, so there's cards with Corrupted One, Corrupted Four, Corrupted Six that have been shown so far, and what that means is. If a unit has the corrupted ability, when it dies, you play a copy of it that is a shade, a nightmare shade, with zero attack and the same health as the previous unit. So, for example, the first one that was previewed was Unfamiliar Interloper, which was a stranger. It's two cost, a one-two. It has corrupted one. 
and summon gain an influence of your choice. So when that dies, its corrupted ability would trigger and you would play a two cost zero two nightmare stranger, which is called unfamiliar interloper shade. And then each turn the shade is alive, it loses one health. So when interloper dies, it's an O2. Next turn, it's an O1. After that, it kills itself. But before it dies, you can pay its corrupted cost, which is which is the number after corrupted, to sacrifice it and gain its sun, summon ability one more time. So this is all a little complicated, but to use but one more time. So you have a two cost one two stranger that gains you an influence of your choice. Uh, unfamiliar interloper. When it dies, it becomes an O2. And then you could pay one because it has corrupted one to sacrifice it to gain another influence of your choice. And because it loses one health per turn, you have this turn and the next turn to do it before it sacrifices itself without triggering its summon ability again. So, so basically, this is a mechanic that lets you use a unit's summon ability twice. Every unit with Corrupted has a summon ability. Um, and then it comes... It, it The first time you use that summon ability, it's like a normal unit where you get the unit on the board, it gets its summon ability. But then the next time you use it, it's in shade form, and you have to pay uh, an amount of power that is equal to its Corrupted number. Uh, to use that ability again. But you still have a unit on board, but it's slowly dying and it can't attack unless you give it a weapon. So at its heart, this is a mechanic about being able to use a summon ability more than once, twice exactly. So I think that's what it's for. But it has a lot of interesting implications. For one thing, we were talking about the Enraged Gorger at the beginning of this podcast, which requires a sacrifice every turn. And if you have a bunch of units that die twice... Great, because the first time you can sacrifice something and you will get the shade, and then you can either uh, you you can either feed that shade to the gorger as well, or you can use its corrupted ability to to get its ability again. I think it's an interesting and probably very powerful mechanic. Like I can see most of the corrupted units in this set being pretty high picks in draft. Because having something be able to do whatever it does twice, probably really good. Um, if the stats on it are good at all. I would expect Unfamiliar Interloper specifically to be a very high pick for practically any deck. Because it's a stranger, so it gets all of those stranger bonuses. Um, and it fixes your influence twice. There's not a lot of cards that can do that. And the second time only costs one, which is yes. pretty good. Yeah, you have to somehow get it to die. I mean, they can always just not block your one-two. But with all of these strangers that give attacks, uh, that grant strangers attacks when they... Um, fair, that grant strangers' abilities when they attack, probably they don't want to keep letting the unfamiliar interloper... Uh, just attack freely because it keeps on racking up bonuses. So they'll block it, and then you can uh, fix your influence to play the rest of the strangers in your deck. Seems very good. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the uncommon that they that they spoiled, Fear Tracker. It's a it's a five four unit for five shadow shadow, and its summon ability is that it deals three damage to the enemy player, and you gain three life. So it's a kind of a drain lifey sort of effect, and then it has corrupted four. So when it dies, it becomes a zero four, and then you can drain for another three. That's pretty strong. It's going to be a good uncommon fear tracker in in my 
my prediction index. Yes, I, I agree. It does seem very strong. You know, that's a 12-point life swing. Yeah, on a, on a reasonable body for the cost. Yeah, and what's really interesting with this corrupted mechanic is the fact that, like, since this is an 04, that means the turn it dies, you have another three turns after to be able to pay the five power to get its summon ability again. And so it's kind of neat that they have these like weird delayed clock where it's not like spellcraft where if you want that second ability, you got to kind of like pay for it immediately. It's like, okay, if you're in a top deck war and then you top deck a power, now is your turn to kill your fear tracker. Gives you, it gives you options because you don't have to, you don't have to use the ability right away. And so you've just sort of got this extra thing that you can do for the next few turns whenever you don't have another play. So it seems very like it seems very versatile uh, and like there will be a lot of implications. Plus, the shade still has a board presence. It doesn't have any power, but it can still block anything that that won't that won't immediately kill it and then stick around to, to use its ability later. So pretty good. I think it'll be I think it'll be a great mechanic for limited. Yeah. I like it a lot better than than strangers for limited, frankly. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Don't judge. Don't judge yet. We'll see. We'll see. I'll keep an open mind. Okay. And then this last, um, the last corrupted card that they showed is kind of interesting, especially that it's corrupted. It's the uh, four fire fire two two blade crafter summon draw a weapon of your choice from your deck. Corrupted six. Yeah. So, it, ignoring the corrupted text, I think tutoring's pretty powerful. The fact that you can get any weapon at any cost seems like it could potentially be powerful. And you're not taking that much of a hit. In the, I mean, obviously a 2-2 two is not great, but it could be worse. Does this seem like a powerful card to you? It's hard to tell without seeing what weapons are going to be available. But yeah, it does seem like a powerful card. Like a like, let's say it's a let's say it was a four power two two that just straight up drew a card. Uh, would that be good? That'd probably still be playable. Yeah, but this draws a specific card. I don't know. It's probably pretty good. I don't think this is going to be one of the most powerful corrupted cards, but I could be wrong. We'll see. The thing that's interesting to me because the corrupted six. Well, I don't know if I want to pay six for that ability. Like you're but drawing a second weapon. But you're not getting a body the second time around, sort of. You're not. But let's say it didn't have that ability at all. Probably still good. So I think just having the corrupted ability as gravy on top of it, like if it just stuck around as the shade and then could chump block something, that would already be really great. You know, yeah. like you, you got a weapon, then, oh, no, the blade crafter died. I guess I'll chump block with it and then I'll move on with my life. That would be fine. That would be a really good comment to pick up. And uh, the fact that it can draw another weapon uh, later on, which is, you know, your changey stick or whatever. I mean, I don't know. It seems great. Not, not, yeah, not six great. Six is a tempo, lot to pay, but... and you only have this yeah, turn and next turn to do it. Yeah, you're not always going to be able to use that ability. It is expensive, yeah. but it is, it is also a tutor from your deck, so yeah. um, it should be. It shouldn't be that easy to play. Like these other abilities we've been talking about, aren't draw a card yeah, <laughs> and this no, is a I... this is a common that says draw a card and maybe you get to do it twice so i do think they had to be careful with the cost on this yeah thing. i kind of think they just wanted 
another corrupted card because probably since there's a lot of sacrifice there seems to be a lot of sacrifice themes in this set and so they just gave it uh, a corrupted cost where it wouldn't be broken where it's it's almost prohibitively expensive as in the corrupted cost but you still can use it as sacrifice fodder yeah i think it'll play well um the this this mechanic makes me very optimistic about the the next draft format i think i think this by itself makes it interesting and we have probably quite a few mechanics to learn about still and it'll be interesting to see if corrupted is like we were talking about sort of with strangers if it ends up being a wedge mechanic or if there is something else going on with this set kind of feel like it's also in time that's my that's my guess Yes. Uh, also, I mean, the legendary that they spoiled was in Primal. Oh, uh, that might not mean anything because sometimes they'll do weird they'll do weird legendaries that have off faction mechanics. But um, but yeah. it, I mean, yeah, that is true. Uh, no, the FPS. Is uh, awesome. We're gonna see an awful lot of new cards uh, before we record the next episode, so we'll have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So look forward to that. I guess we'll finally end our show there uh, <laughs> so thank you to all our patrons for making this show a success and for those of you who are not patrons a reminder to give us a five star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play you can join us in our discord we'll have a link in the show notes and uh you know, with the new set coming out, it's a great time to join the Discord and start chatting, talking about cards. And finally, thumbs up all Raven Dragon's Reddit posts and leave a comment. And don't forget to send in all your 7-win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Bye. Thanks. Goodbye.